Welcome to New Mercies, a podcast by Mercy Ships, where we'll take you behind the scenes and onboard our incredible hospital ships that are transforming lives all over the world. We invite you to join us each week as we sit down with our crew, patients, volunteers, and partners to hear their stories of life-changing hope and healing. On today's episode, you get to hear from nurse Amy Jones. In this interview, Amy is honest, she's funny, and she shares her huge heart for the people of Africa. I know you're going to enjoy this, so get ready to have your heart challenged. So Amy Jones, it's great to have you on the podcast today, and it's been a while since you and I have spoken, so this is really fun for me. We first met in Dakar, Senegal, when you were on board with your husband, Ali, and your then two-year-old son, Louis, but that wasn't your first field service, and you had been with Mercy Ships prior to Senegal, so why don't you tell us a little bit about your Mercy Ships history and what caused you guys to get on board in the first place? We joined the ship in 2013. Um, The ship at that point was in Congo, Brazzaville. And I don't know whether we specifically sought out Mercy Ships. Ali and I got married in 2009. Um, And so we'd been married for a few years and I had been a nurse for a few years. And I always said that when I became a nurse, I wanted to travel and I wanted to go and serve somewhere. I wanted to give back to places that I don't know that were worse off than where I was and I think I um I actually did a I was thinking about this the other day I actually did a mission trip when I was 17 to Ecuador and I remember being in the middle of the Amazon rainforest with a guy that got bit by a snake and he um was told that unless the math plane arrived in the next like half an hour that he would be dead and I remember just sitting with him on step just praying that this plane would arrive and thinking, what if it doesn't arrive? Mm-hmm. And I remember asking the guy I was with, like, what happens if the plane doesn't arrive? And there was just no response. It was just like, <laughs> good, okay. And I like helped out a little bit in this kind of field hospital. And that was before I was a nurse. And I remember just thinking like, oh, once I've finished my studies, once I'm a nurse, I want to get as much information I can from my course and experience in the UK and then I just want to go somewhere else somewhere like this and Mm. help people that don't have access to healthcare and help people where there's questions asked and no available answer to them Mm. and so I think that experience I didn't realize it at the time but I think that experience actually kind of set me off on a little journey of wanting to give back wanting to enter into a gap where Mm. there was nothing in other places and just realizing how lucky we were in the UK So when Ali and I got married, I said to him when he proposed, like, if you honestly want to marry me, because I wasn't entirely convinced, um, (laughs) you'll you'll have to live like out of a suitcase because I'm fairly convinced that once I finish my studies and got a bit of experience, then I'm off and not coming back. And he was like, that's fine. I will go and find a suitcase. Um, (laughs) So we got married and then got to a point where I had a bit of experience and decided it was a good time. And so we looked at lots of different options for going away and Mercy Ships just worked out for both of us. It worked really nicely because Ali's not medical and I am. And a lot of things we looked at, we couldn't do together Hmm. um, because we weren't both medical or we'd have to live apart or yeah, there were lots of complications in going as a couple and Mercy Ships 
just worked out really, really well for us. So that was it really. We signed up and we went and did the training um, program in Texas before we left. And then we arrived in Congo, Brazzaville. Wow. Now, what was your role when you first arrived on the ship? I was a ward nurse, um, but I had experience in intensive care at that point. So I joined um, in one of the wards that had a little intensive care attached, which was um, mainly maxillofacial and big, kind of the big tumours that you see on the videos and the, the media um, that's often put out from Mercy Ships. You kind of see these big tumours and cleft lips and palates. So I was working in that department. Were you prepared for that, for that extreme conditions that you saw? I mean, obviously, you know, in a developing nation, you're going to see different things than you see in the UK. But did you think that it would be to that extreme? I think I was more shocked by other things. There was a lot of things that shocked me when I arrived. And the tumors were certainly like, um, you know, you put your professional face on and inside you're like, oh, wow. (laughs) Um, But I think that being a nurse already and seeing some pretty horrible things, you can't, you kind of get like this professional front um, where you're not affected by things so badly, but certainly the tumors that I saw were, there's a lot of things I saw that I'd never seen before in my career, but I think I was more shocked by other things. Like I remember arriving for my first shift and I got there and we all stood around waiting. I presumed we were waiting for a handover. And then the team leader just opened up in prayer. And I was like, whoa, what is happening? (laughs) (laughs) For anyone that's ever worked in the NHS, it's not something that happens. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) It's a very different environment, that's for sure. Very different environment. And that was really shocking to me that you were allowed to pray together in public. That was a big, big difference. There was a lot of big differences when I got to the ship. And that was one of them that um, was quite odd and quite uncomfortable and vulnerable to be in a professional setting, but also sharing your faith and Hmm. um, intermingling it all together. And I remember just two months before having said goodbye to my colleagues in London and one of my um, team leaders at the time, who was a Christian, um, I went into his office because he wanted to pray for me. And we did it behind a door in secret. Wow. Um, because we didn't want anyone to know that we were praying. Not necessarily that we didn't want anyone to know that we were praying, but just that it would, it would be deemed unprofessional, sure. I think, sure. to, be, um, to be doing that in, at work. And so it was so wonderful, but also so shocking mm. to have this very um, contrasting, like your faith and your profession in the same place. It was quite, it, that was quite a shock to me. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned that because a couple of other nurses or medical professionals that we've had on the podcast, they've actually shared stories about helping patients out and then coming to the end of themselves, realizing there's nothing else we can do for this patient. Some of them either failing in the OR and we don't know what else to do or you know, patients that you just don't know how to help. And they all have said it was interesting because people would stop and pray and they would say, God, we don't know what else to do. And it's interesting because, yeah, I think if we're honest, that is shocking. It's not the norm in a Western hospital to do that. And so I can imagine that that would be just a a real shift in your mindset and in in your practice. 
Yeah, and a real test of your um, understanding of your relationship with God as well, I think. Mm. Um, I remember one of the first patients I looked after, he was having a psychotic episode on the unit and was like biting me and hitting me and punching me. And she just had surgery. Mm. And a lot of our patients that have massive tumors have already been to every single witch doctor in town before they come to us. And so they've, they've done a lot of weird things. Sure. Um, in order in like their kind of natural traditional roots of of trying to find healing mm. um but with that sometimes comes a lot of spiritual bondage and so quite often we would have patients that have big big tumors we remove the tumor they come out of surgery and there's just kind of this I don't know like a tornado of mental health situations that occur Um, and we've got an amazing chaplaincy team on board that would come and pray for them and um, work through some of those things but a lot of them just come from lots of witch doctor women in Benin a lot of voodoo Hmm. and so I remember sitting with this patient who was trying to punch me in the face and I went to the nurse in charge and was like we need to we need to give her some medication now and we find the doctor and just give her some medication please she's having a psychotic episode and she needs some like pharmaceutical restraint <laughs> <laughs> and um the nurse in charge kind of gave me this really kind look um of you're new here aren't you you know this kind of like it wasn't condescending but it was it was you, you don't know this place yet, but you will. And um, she was just like, do you know what? If you're comfortable too, can you just go and pray for her first? Um, and if that doesn't work, then I'll go and get a doctor. And I was like, pray for her. She's punching me in the face. What is wrong with you? I would like drugs and I would like them back. <laughs> I was like, I don't know how long you've been on this ship for. <laughs> Maybe too long. <laughs> but we have medicine and it works. <laughs> Um, and yeah, she kind of gave me this look and she was like, do you know what? It's fine. Like, if you're not comfortable to do it, then let me just go and pray for her. I'll get a translator. And I was like, no, 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 I can pray. I can be a nurse and I can pray. It's fine. So I went and sat with this patient and, um, I started praying, had a translator with me, but it was a very, you know, those kind of prayers where you're like, okay, God, (laughs) we're going to do this thing because the nurse over there wants me to, (laughs) um, but I started praying and like she completely snapped out of it and just became an entirely different person. Mm-hmm. And moments before she had been running down the corridor, screaming and shouting and kicking everyone. And it just completely stopped. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, and I went back to this nurse and I was like, what was that? <laughs> <laughs> and um, <laughs> just had to spend some time chatting to her about um, what she'd seen and what she'd experienced and just, um, talking through some of these things that we just have no understanding of, sure. of what's kind of happening in the spiritual world. And um, um, yeah, again, this like really weird mix of the medical healthcare world mm. mixed with the spiritual world, which, yeah, it's just really, really fascinating and surprising. Sure. Yeah. I could see that for sure. Well, as you volunteered um, on the ward as a nurse, how many years did you do that before you transitioned into more of an educational role? Um, so I worked for the field service for, in Congo um, as a um, maxillofacial nurse. And then when we went to the next field service, I started um, 
as local education um, nurse, which then the next field service turned into medical capacity building as the team. Our medical capacity building department has massively grown over the years. And when I first arrived, it was um, one full-time person. Uh, Eight months later, it was one full-time person with an assistant. And Mm. then by the time I left, there was an entire department. Um, And the figures when I left the ship was that we had educated as many people as we had done surgery on, which was incredible. Um, So I, I started in Madagascar. So we had a an interesting time between Congo and Madagascar where uh, the Ebola um, virus was uh, attacking Western Africa. And mm-hmm. so we couldn't go anywhere. So we had a extended period of time in the Canary Islands. The ship couldn't leave. We couldn't go to West Africa. And so um, there was a bit of additional time in there where I was all types of things on the ship and moved into different departments. So I was a receptionist, which... We didn't enjoy that very much at all. Um, <laughs> it turns out I'm not very good at customer service. People were like, you know, complaining about the temperature of their water. And I was like, do you know that people are dying of tumors? <laughs> um, I was terrible. Anyway, apologies to anyone that I looked after during those times and told them to go away because they're not dying of a tumor. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I did lots of different roles during that, that time. And then uh, we started again uh, in Madagascar and I did a field service, so 10 months of local education. Um, So that was training uh, local nurses and midwives and setting up mentoring Mm. um, programs with ship nurses and local nurses, national nurses, to work together and in one another's environments. Uh, We did a lot of neonatal resuscitation as well. Um, And then a second year in Madagascar, and that was all around women's health. So then do local nurses and doctors come on board for that training or do you go off ship to local clinics or how does that work? It depends on a lot of things. Like it looked different every field service, depending on what the people wanted. So we would go, we would like build up relationships and um, kind of network in in the local community and see what people needed um, Mm. in terms of training and, and it would be kind of a, a two-way communication. Um, sometimes surgeons or anaesthetists would just come on board the ship um, and get some experience. Sometimes they would also take someone with them from the ship to kind of learn what their environment looks like as well. With the nurses uh, in Madagascar and the following field services that I was doing training in, um, we did a bit of both. So I would kind of pair up nurses um, and they would work in one another's environments to kind of mm. understand the differences, the challenges, um, and to kind of teach each other stuff, really. It was it was a relationship. It was mentoring on the job, but also tied up with some teaching as well. If you were serving in some local hospitals, was that also along the lines of training in those local hospitals? Yeah, so same that- nurses. So we would we would kind of develop a bit of a partnership with the unit. So we worked with quite often with maxillofacial departments in a local hospital. They would come and work on our unit, and we'd go and work with them as on theirs and swap skills and knowledge and see how. Because what we would find before that, um, when we had visiting uh, healthcare professionals, is that we may teach them something. 
um, that is completely useless to them in their environment because they don't have that piece of technology or they don't have those resources. Mm. Um, and so the teaching that you're providing needs to be absolutely um, unique to the people that are receiving it so sure. that it's, it's useful for them and that it's going to change their practice for good. Um, and so by visiting their environments and seeing what their challenges were um, every day, we could tailor the education towards that um, and make sure it was specific for them. Sure. Yeah. So we, so we would work, work in both places well, that so that they could, they could get um, experience there too. And then we would kind of run continuing education programs as well. In Benin's, we did weekly teaching on their hospital campus so that they could, people could drop in for um, education sessions, which was nice as well. And that that really involved everyone on the ship, like lots of different people, people from the dressings team would come and speak Mm. one week and someone else would come and speak another week just to get everybody involved. It's really one of the brilliant parts of Mercy Ships that they leave a lasting impact in the nations that we serve because they are raising up and training the local professionals. And I think that so that they can further serve their own people, which is really, it's just brilliant, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And that's like the goal of medical capacity building that you're not, you're not flying into a place and delivering a service and then leaving again, but also that you're not taking business from local healthcare providers either. Yeah. Um, that you're, you're kind of allowing them to continue, but kind of adding what you can to their practice um, and equipping local healthcare providers to carry on and give better care. Mm-hmm. I think another unique aspect of Mercy Ships for our medical professionals is that it seems that y'all get to build more relationship with the patients than maybe you do in a Western hospital. Um, as I mean, you even mentioned praying with them, you enter into a more personal relationship than just a professional relationship. So tell us a little bit about some patients that you kind of had a personal relationship with. I think for me, I probably worked for the longest amount of time with the women's health program. Um, and I think there's just so much emotion tied up into, um, providing care for those, those women, Mm-hmm. Um, especially in our fistula program. So you've got women that are a lot of the time completely broken, like they've been pushed out of their communities, they've been disowned by their family um, because they have fistula, because they are leaking urine all the time, um, because they smell, because even, even in an environment where they can get sanitary pads and all that kind of thing and be able to keep clean, Mm-hmm. They still smell. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of the time those women were the lowest of the low, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. And so they would come to the ship. Um, firstly, they would be difficult to find because they're not, you know, within healthy communities all the time. A lot of them would be in hiding or on the edges of society. Um, and so when they came to the ship, um, the nurses, the doctors would form really great relationships with them. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of that is down to just emotional support as well as the physical support and the clinical need. Um, and also they were with us for a while. Like those patients, 
it's not an overnight surgery and they get up and leave the next day. Like they're, they're with us for a good few days. And so you build up this relationship with them a little better, Mm. but also you're just desperately hoping that they will go home dry. Um, you know, for all of our patients, we want a good outcome, of course. Um, but for those ladies to be dry is massive. It means, you know, everything. Yeah. I think that group of patients, um, they were just really wonderful to work with. I also loved watching how they interacted with one another, you know, this kind of survivor, um, team, community, family thing, they would really look after one another. Mm. Um, And in terms of um, patients that I really connected with, there was one particular girl called Minette who was in the local hospital in Tamatab in Madagascar. And I was working with the midwives and helping them. I think we were learning about maternal hemorrhage or something. Um, And the midwife... Uh, that was in charge of the unit she was like the head midwife in the hospital said to me you you guys want to help the poorest of the poor come with me Mm. and um she took me to a room where it was like one of these free rooms they don't have to pay for them they're basically like cupboards because they're all the other rooms everyone has to pay for there was a girl in there that was no more than 13 Mm. and she was in full-blown sepsis she was pale she was shivery she was sweaty Um, And she had lost a lot of blood um, and she was just generally just not very well. She was incredibly malnourished and she had had a baby um, on her travel to hospital. Well, not really had a baby. The baby had died inside and eventually the baby had come out um, on the journey. She was in labor for like a month or something. Um, And she was by that point, she was like, 11 months pregnant or something oh, so she had kind of gone past her normal stage started labor been in labor for several days and um, the baby had died and then she was in this kind of situation where she had no access to health care eventually the baby would just come away mm. um, but when the baby comes out in fistula you are left with holes essentially where the pressure was um, lying Mm. Um, which are basically pressure ulcers, but inside, and they form like little fistulas where urine or feces is going to leak out the wrong place. And so she had gone through that process uh, basically in the back of a truck on the way to a hospital, but for several days. And so by the time I saw her, she was making no sense at all. She was completely confused. Um, Mm. She couldn't move. She was in a bed and her auntie was looking after her. Um, And she was just in such a terrible state and had no money at all. She had come from a really, really tiny village. Um, And she was just a child, really. Mm. Um, And so I, several times with Mercy Ships, I would get to this point where I would see things which I knew were not protocol for Mercy Ships. (laughs) Mm, (laughs) And I would just break my little heart because I knew there was nothing we could do about it yet. Um, I would normally come home from those, those situations and cry on Ali's shoulder for quite a while and get mascara everywhere. Uh, Normally then I would know (laughs) God's kind of nudging me. Um, Mm. I need to do something about this. And so I went to, um, the screening team and told them what I saw 
and took lots of details and she didn't fit into any of our boxes basically she we, we wouldn't be able to treat her mm. they have to be a certain time after their surgery um sorry not after the surgery after the fistula after the birth they need to wait a, quite a long time before we can treat them and so she didn't fit into any of the boxes I took all the details anyway and luckily there was a fistula surgeon on board at the time we were doing the program for fistula surgeries and he agreed he'd like worked in Africa for a really long time he agreed to come to the local hospital with me and actually um, assess her Hmm. and so I took him to the local hospital and I remember shaking the whole way there because I was really scared he was going to say no and by this point I'd already visited her several times and um, taken her food which normally is something I wouldn't do um, Hmm. and build up a bit of relationship with her and we'd got her some antibiotics and he saw her and um, luckily after a review they decided to operate on her oh wow Um, and so we in the middle of the night, we carried her to our fistula centre, which was on the same site, and um, started treatment, started getting her strong enough for surgery and, and giving her lots of vitamins and food because she was so malnourished. Um, and it was just so beautiful because when we brought her to the fistula clinic that night and she was kind of all covered in, she was wrapped up in, in sheets that were covered in her own yuck. And just watching these other fistula patients that had had surgery and were on their way to recovery, they just all came around her and looked after her. And someone started washing her and someone was holding her hand because they'd all been there. They'd all been in that environment where they were abandoned, where they were not loved, where they were, you know, not looked after. She'd been lying in this hospital bed for no one really knew how long. Um, and they'd all been there. They'd all they'd all gone through that pain of going through labour, and it being like day one of labour, day two of labour, day three of labour, day four of labour. Still no baby. Still no baby. Still no baby. Mm. And um, there was just that m- amazing bond um, between those women, and just watching that take place mm. was absolutely beautiful. Like just to see that humanity. Gosh, I just think that. In the West, you know, we just don't let women labor that long. You would do a C-section right away, you know, but that's that's not an option for a lot of these countries. You know, they don't have the facility to do that kind of stuff. And it just ends in tragedy. You know, like you're saying, the babies die and then these young moms are left with a broken body and mm. many times, yeah, just shunned from their community. And then what do they have? Yeah. What a beautiful gift for this girl. What what happened to her? She ended up having um, two surgeries in the end, I think, if I remember rightly. Um, and eventually she was dry and went home. I don't know what happened after that. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> she had to, um, because she arrived, uh, so, she was so young and had never left her village, it was actually quite um, quite a big feat to get her home because she didn't even know where she'd come from. Like she wow. had to describe it by like, mountains and where the rivers were and there was a lot of (laughs) trying to work out where how to get her home Mm. but um but she did go home so hopefully she's at home and doing well well what a gift that you saw her and had a heart of compassion upon her and you know did all that you could to get her the care that she needed that was really phenomenal you have a big heart for the local people and for the culture and the countries that you serve in. I've seen that firsthand 
in Senegal, but I know that in the various countries that you've served in, you are drawn to the local people. Mm-hmm. And as much as we talk about the amazing community on board the ship, correct me if I'm wrong, but you strike me as someone who your heart is, you enjoy those people on board, but you just come alive when you are mm-hmm. in the local community with the local people. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about how you engage the local people off ship, even in your off time, not when you're working. Yeah, I do. I do. I just love hanging out with the locals. I love understanding the culture. I love learning the language. And I think that was one of the things that frustrated me actually about Mercy Ships, if I'm honest, is that you move every 10 months and the 10 months is brilliant. Yeah. Um, And I loved Madagascar because we were there for two field services. And I just, Mm. I love um, learning the language and understanding um, how the people work and what makes them tick. And I think that there's no better way to do that than just to sit and be with the local people. Mm. Um, One of my favorite friends in town was uh, the toilet lady in Madagascar. She was brilliant. Um, She she set up her own business. So they had um, toilets in the hospital, but they were not functioning. There was no like water. There was no drainage. They were swamped. Mm. Everyone was basically just weeing in the garden because there were, <laughs> there were no toilets in, in the national hospital. Mm. Um, and so this lady swoops in, um, Elizabeth, and she was amazing because she put money into the hospital toilets, mm. got them working, kept them in ship shape, but she started charging all the patients, which yes, that is a ridiculous idea. And in the West to charge your patient who's just had an appendicitis or whatever else, money to go to the toilet is a ridiculous idea. But in Madagascar, it worked because the hospital couldn't afford or didn't want to keep the toilet running. Um, and so she swooped in there. She saw a business opportunity wow. and she was providing a service for the patients. And it meant that they had toilets to go to. Mm. And it was brilliant. So <laughs> I got to <laughs> I got to know this lady and I would sit with her and chat with her quite frequently um, about the politics of the hospital. And it's an amazing what things you find out <laughs> from the, the toilet, toilet lady. <laughs> mm-hmm. Let me tell you, you think, you think they're telling you the truth about different things. You talk to the toilet lady and you get all (laughs) (laughs) Nothing beats learning local language and just being with the people. Mm. Um, And I think that Mercy Ships actually is great because you can be immersed in the community, but you can also have a hot shower. And be in a a community that's that's multicultural and supportive. And there's so many people on board that that, that there'll always be someone that you get on with really well to be able to form, you know, great relationships with. But equally, you can be in the community and immerse yourself in that. So it's, mm. it's quite a nice mix that you, you don't often find with a lot of other NGOs to be able to have both. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's pretty neat because if you have the opportunity and the freedom to get off the ship and explore the local village, city, you know, the local surroundings, your eyes are not only opened to future possible patients, but your eyes are also open to different needs within this community. And your husband told me an interesting 
thing that I needed to ask you about is a need that you saw in a community for people, I think homeless people. He said, I, I must ask you about your relationship with some homeless people in Madagascar, I believe it was. I, I normally find um, little special projects to get involved in. They keep me busy. And um, yeah, and there was a there was a big community of homeless guys in Madagascar. And I kind of worked, worked out where a lot of them lived. Hmm. Um, and I had a friend who was a cook, a local cook. And so we we ordered a lot of food. I think she was cooking for an entire day. And then I ordered a tuk-tuk for an entire day. And then um, I hid in the tuk-tuk because you don't want to be that white person that's like giving it food. And I like just dished up the plates and my, my friend Sandra um, would go and deliver them. But he, he thought it was hilarious because he was like, there's no one there, Amy. That's a piece of tarpaulin next to a, next to a building. He was no one there. What are you talking about? I was like, no, there is. There is. That's where so and so lives. He was like, "No, no, no. There's no one there." And so he, <laughs> I had like my little map plotted out of where we were going, um, and so we we did that a few times and just uh, just surprise surprised them with some local food, um, which was by no means any answer to any of the homelessness, but um, but it was fun for a, for a few a few visits. Well, you know, you say that it's not an answer to the homelessness, but for those people to know that someone saw them and saw their need and cared enough to take time and resources to say, Hey, you're, you're worthy of a nice meal. I think that probably blessed their life more than you'll ever know. Now, back in the UK, you have started practicing nursing again, right? Mm -hmm. You're back. Have you returned to nursing in the UK with a different mindset, having served in developing nations? Yeah, I think so. I did. Um, I did go back and forth, like in between each field service. I worked a little bit um, in kind of um, temporary jobs just to kind of remember what's happening in the UK. And so I've been back and forth and back and forth. And so the shock lessons, you know, mm. the extreme um, between the West and working in West Africa, it it doesn't ever, um, the contrast doesn't change, but I think you learn how to deal with each environment. And I would be able to walk into a hospital in London and practice, and then a week later be in West Africa and, mm. and be nursing and, and not have uh, significant trauma. But I think you, you learn how to adapt and you learn how to separate those worlds sure. fairly well. And so I think that if you don't do that, you can become quite bitter mm. um, and uh, practice in the Western world and be quite angry, actually, yeah. at all the amazing things that we have and the access to services that we have. Mm. Um, that is not possible in, in a lot of countries in the world, actually, yeah. not just West Africa. So I think that it can sometimes actually kind of affect you negatively in a professional yeah. sense I think for me it's helped me we've got a lot of new staff that have come from Nigeria recently and mm -hmm. um, during the season of COVID to start nursing careers in the UK already trained nurses already very capable um, but have moved to the UK to kind of start start a, a career here hmm. and I think it's been really interesting um because I've been able to connect with them quite well because I kind of can see where 
I don't know the experiences that they've come from, but we can have really great conversations about what their hospital was like and what this hospital is like and what the gap is and try and like help them in a way to, yeah. um, to transition well into this country. There's little bits here and there. It's definitely, it's definitely changed my out, my outlook on life for yeah. sure. Um, I definitely feel very blessed to be in this country mm-hmm. for me personally, when I had, Lewis, that was probably the biggest shock to enter into this world where I got free healthcare in my um in my maternity. Mm. Um, and I, you know, had midwives deliver my baby and I didn't have to pay them anything. Yeah. Um, you know, with a minuscule chance that there would be any harm caused to me or to him. Mm. Um, that was quite a shock and a revelation to me, um, even though even though I knew it, right. um, just experiencing that, that firsthand and going from um, an environment where one minute I'm working with midwives that are bribing their patients, that are not giving the best care, that are going home whenever they feel like it, even though someone's hemorrhaging, yeah. um, to, to have that as my norm and then go home and deliver my own baby was quite, that was quite shocking. Hmm. Um, and so definitely very, very thankful for um for the care that I received. Yeah, absolutely. Well, as we wrap up our time together, you mentioned that you served for several years with Mercy Ships with your husband and then chose again to return with a child. So why year after year did you continue to serve with Mercy Ships? You guys could have broken off and gone with a different organization, but why did you choose to stay with Mercy Ships? It's a really good question. I mean, we just we just loved it actually we just really loved it and it felt like home it was our community it Mm. was um and still is our community to a certain extent um you know you can meet up with a mercy shipper anywhere in the world and just completely fall back into um being besties in the middle of nowhere even if you're you know not in west africa Mm -hmm. um we loved the community. We felt a strong bond with the community. Um, I think we continually went back year after year because there was good reason to. Yeah. There, you know, after each year, Ali and I would normally pray about the next year and what should we do? We always asked the question, should we go back home hmm. or should we stay? And there was normally compelling reason to stay. Um whether that was because we felt like we really wanted to take on the next challenge in the job that was being offered, um, whether it was about the community itself and um, the fact that we were worship leaders and wanted to be involved in community and helping lead the community in that way. Yeah, um, yeah there, was, there was always a reason. There was always a reason each year that was compelling enough to continue fundraising um, and to go back. Absolutely. Well, I know you guys made a big impact on our family by taking us in early on on our first field service and 
helping us not be afraid to explore the city and try new restaurants. The Shawarma Sundays, we got invited and it was a highlight for our family for sure to join you guys on Sunday at a little local local shawarma shop. It was a ton of fun. So we're so grateful for you all. And thanks so much for sharing your story today. It was, it was a real gift to get to catch up with you. You're very welcome. Perhaps in hearing from Amy today, you're prompted to go and serve local people. Whether it's your neighbor next door or someone in need halfway across the globe, there is always an opportunity to extend care to those in need. One way is to volunteer with Mercy Ships. If you want more information about volunteering with us, check out our website at mercyships.org forward slash volunteer. Well, I encourage you to come back next week for a special interview with a nurse from Cameroon. She started her Mercy Ships journey serving as a local day crew translating in the hospital, but was compelled to join the crew full time as a screening nurse. You won't want to miss this interview where Christelle shares touching stories of her encounters with patients.